This is Michael Reinhardt, welcoming you to the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. We are led by our two hosts, Jerry Buckley and Jody Westby. This podcast is sponsored by the Association for Data and Cyber Governance. The association offers a 50% discount on membership to our podcast listeners when they go to www.adcg.org and use code POD. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and please feel free to leave us a rating or comment. This is Jerry Buckley, and I am here with my co-host, Jody Westby. Our regular listeners know from time to time, we make a presentation without a guest, and Jody, being very knowledgeable, has agreed to be our guest today and to speak about a subject we've covered before, but where there have been some very important new developments. And that is the Israeli software company NSO Group and the U.S. government's decision to blacklist the company from the U.S. market. So let's start with a refresher on NSO and Pegasus. Jody, can you provide some background on the company and software and the issues at the top of the news today? Sure. I think this is a a really important part two to our first segment. So NSO Group is an Israeli company. It's owned by private equity. It has software that could uh, is really a surveillance software, a spyware, if sometimes called. The company only licenses the technology to governments. Facebook, not surprisingly, tried to license it, but the company wouldn't license it to them. They said it only licensed to governments. And that includes law enforcement and intelligence agencies. They get the Ministry of Defense in Israel to issue a license, allowing them to send it to the government client. And they claim it's to be used for tracking really bad guys like pedophiles and terrorists. In actuality, though, we now know that out of these 40-some countries that are using this technology via this license agreement, that it's being used to target citizens, government officials, diplomats, dissidents, journalists, and it has caused a huge uproar in the diplomatic communities um, because in these governments are sometimes not just using this technology within their own country, they're using it against people outside of their country. And so it has received a lot of attention and it's primarily pushed out through mobile phones. And you don't even have to do anything to get the malware. If they target you, they can get it on your phone. It's very difficult to detect. And there have been Now, a couple of the uh, nonprofit groups, the non-governmental organizations like Amnesty International and some others that that have actively been working on this investigation into this software, they say they've developed a detection tool. But the best thing to do is if you think you've got this on your phone is to throw your phone away and don't even transfer anything on that phone. Throw it away and start completely over with a new phone. That's pretty dramatic because a lot of people have photos and texts and other things that they want to keep. 
So this had been in the news because the software had been loaded onto Jeff Bezos' phone and a very large amount of data exfiltrated from his phone. The news reports on that pointed to Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia. That was very alarming to me and others in our U.S. community who felt when you start to target the titans of our industry, then we have a much different problem. Then this isn't just intelligence gathering. It's not nation state to nation state activity. Very recently, 50,000 cell phone numbers were on a list that supposedly were phones targeted with the software, Pegasus. And the nonprofit groups that got involved with this, including the Monk Center at University of Toronto, they started examining these lists and found out that they were involving presidents and prime ministers and diplomats and government officials and prominent citizens and journalists. And again, as I said, certainly activists and dissidents, but globally some very high profile people and used in ways that were simply inappropriate. So that was the backdrop where there has been a lot of discussion about it and a lot of work trying to determine, identify the 50,000 names. Now, further backdrop is WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, has sued NSO Group. So it's the WhatsApp Facebook lawsuit against NSO Group. Oh, I believe Google joined that suit as well. Not joined that, but maybe had it filed its own suit. But recently, and this is important, Apple has sued. And they are seeking an injunction barring NSO Group software from being used on any iPhone device, which would largely cripple the ability of the software to perform as um, it's been designed. So we do have some very prominent private sector companies taking some action. And then most recently, we've had the U.S. government weigh in. So let me stop at that yeah, point. And, and, and Jenny, why don't you tell us about the, the U.S. Commerce Department and its actions on November 3rd in adding the NS Group to its, quote, entity list, end quote. What is yeah. this and what does it mean for the company? That was a very important development where the United States announced that NSO Group was on its quote-unquote entity list. This is a federal blacklist and prohibiting the company from receiving American technologies. So that is significant because you think about NSO Group and most companies around the world run on American technologies. You know, their servers, their routers, their switches, their firewalls, much of their infrastructure is U.S. technology. And it underscores the importance of our U.S. technology market. I mean, where everything has so been outsourced, major industries outsourced now to other countries, we still have a vibrant information technology community. And that's really a very important national security interest that a lot of people just don't seem to take hold of. So the U.S. government put this uh, company, NSO Group, on its list. And they have put forward a notion that, you know, this is the Department of Commerce's efforts to keep the company's 
in line and to make sure that it's not being used against American values and national security interests. It's the first time that Commerce Department's use of the entity listing was aimed at curbing human rights abuses on companies outside of China. You know, China's Huawei was listed. And so we mainly picked on China. But what was especially unique about this is Israel is an ally of the United States. So it was unusual for the United States to take that action against an ally. This is similar to applying export controls. You know, we have applied export controls aimed at curbing human rights abuses. But this is something that is within the areas of export control. There's the Wassenauer Agreement, where there are 42 countries that have agreed that dual-use technologies, that's technologies that are usable for military and civilian use, could be controlled. And so you're now getting the U.S. in line with the Wassenauer countries. And it's just a very important development that we didn't see anything like this in the Trump administration. And frankly, I I think it's long overdue. When we have technologies developed by American companies that can be used to work against democratic principles and our foreign policy goals, then you have to wonder, well, what are we doing? Why are we allowing this technology to be used against us just so we can work harder on the other, on our side to combat it? So I'm actually very supportive of, of this government action. Well, Jody, the company has said that its spyware tools cannot be used on U.S. phone numbers. So uh, is that really true? And uh, if it were true, well, then one might ask, well, what's the threat to the U.S. population? Well, they said that it couldn't be used on U.S. phone numbers, but that's what they were saying. But now reports just came out last week that the spyware was used to hack at least nine U.S. officials' phones. And they were U.S. government officials around the world, but they were U.S. people. So that may in part be behind this entity list blacklisting decision, but they certainly were State Department officials who were hacked in the attack over the last several months. And so that is something that, you know, the National Security Council spokesperson told Reuters, there's a quote from them, we have been acutely concerned that commercial spyware like NSO Group software poses a serious counterintelligence and security risk to U.S. personnel, which is one of the reasons why the Biden-Harris administration has placed several companies involved in the development and proliferation of these tools on the Department of Commerce's entity list. And so that is, you know, that that's a, uh, may well be, as I said, uh, one of the reasons. There's certainly others, but that may be one of the reasons that, that it pushed the Biden administration to take action when it did. Well, how does one know if a phone has Pegasus installed? You know, what yeah. can you do about it? You said, yeah. throw the phone away, get rid of it. Destroy yeah. it, actually. But yeah, I guess the question is, how do you know? You don't. It's very difficult. There are some tools that can be used to try to determine whether 
the Pegasus software is on your phone and it's called a mobile verification tool. Supposedly it works on Android as well as iPhones. It was developed by Amnesty International. I'm not familiar with how easy it is to use, but it is a tool that's been put out there in the last few months for users to check to see if they think their phones has Pegasus Spyware on it, which is, of course, very good because that's at least the first step to take before you decide to throw your phone away. But the fact that software can penetrate a device as secure as the iPhone, and we know nothing is bulletproof, but iPhones are known, Apple's known for good security, and that this kind of software could be placed on Jeff Bezos' phone without him even knowing. He and MBS had exchanged phone numbers at a dinner in Los Angeles, and that it can find your way on your phone without you knowing, without having to take any action. That is just simply scary. And so now having a tool, and I know Amnesty International has been knee-deep in this, and they are they are to be um, lauded and hopefully given additional funding by governments around the world for this important work. It is a big problem because, as we know, cyber mechanics are at a very low skill level. And most people don't know what to do when their computer starts running slow much less think about getting a very pervasive and stealth spyware technology detect whether it's on your phone or not and then try to deal with removing it. That's something beyond the reach of most people. And so I think that it's a very dangerous technology. I have known companies in America that have gone to our State Department and Commerce Department and said, do we need an export license to export our technology? And they said, no. And the CEOs have made the decision on their own that they did not want their technology to be used by governments that could land them on the front page of the Washington Post as technology helping authoritarian regimes do bad things. So these were CEOs making decisions in their countries and their company's best interest on their own. So we, you know, this is where our government, I think, has fallen short. When we have countries like China demanding that they be allowed to put monitoring software on a system, that they be allowed to read all the communications in and out of a company, we don't have our government stepping in, giving those companies cover. And that's a very big thing because when you have boards of directors and fiduciary duties, there are fiduciary duties to the shareholders. And they're saying, well, how can we be working in the shareholders' interest if we pull out of the Chinese market? But that's pretty much what the, you know many of them have done is pull out of the Chinese market because they said we just simply can't go along with what they're asking us to do. So now I see that, that this, with the government stepping up, that perhaps they will start stepping up giving our companies some diplomatic cover and saying, no, we're telling companies they can't comply with this, or we're putting this technology on the entity list. These are important measures, and I think it's the first of many to be seen coming down the road. So you you take this action against the NSO group as indicating perhaps a U.S. government trend. Can we expect more congressional attention to these sorts of incidents and ongoing scrutiny by commerce and state departments in this area? I think they have to. 
And I think it's time that people like us do more to raise awareness of this issue. We looked at how technology was used in the Arab Spring, and it was used very effectively by the organizers, but it was also used very effectively by the governments. You remember they were shutting down, now it's common practice. The government shut down the internet in those countries whenever it's convenient for them. They shut down the internet in Egypt, but remember when the horses and the buses and everyone mobbed the square and trampled the people? They put the internet up right before that. Why? So they could coordinate among themselves. And so it's time that there be more attention to what governments are doing with technology and where does that fit within our national security interests and our diplomatic portfolio of issues. And it's one thing to talk about human rights. It's another thing to talk about, you know, intellectual property theft. But it's another thing to just generally talk about actions that just simply, as I said, violate our democratic principles and are not what America stands for. And I I understand, you know, not being a Pollyanna, we can't just get on a soapbox and say, oh, well, this is bad, so we have to ban all of these things. But at least put it in to the prism, you know, at least factor in what's being done with these technologies and what are the consequences for us and for those those people. I mean, I just don't think we've given this area enough thought. People have developed technology and they use it. If it's used inappropriately, they beg for forgiveness later. But the government largely has kept its hands off almost to a degree where I would fault them. What can tech companies do to keep out of these crosshairs if the government is going to start to move, as you suggested they should, and they appear to be starting to move toward entity, putting people on the entity list? How do you stay off the entity list? That's a good question. I think the first thing that they need to do is to examine who their customers are and do exactly like the CEO he told you about, Look at the public relations considerations of the use of their technologies by people that may not be using them all for altruistic or good purposes. So that's the first thing they can do is through self-examination and self-awareness and to take into consideration their own actions. But the second thing is to combat greed. I mean, I know a number of companies that have been approached by foreign governments wanting them to put backdoors in their technology when they sell it to them. And some do. And that's just not what should be happening. That's not what American companies should be doing. Just to sell their technology in a foreign market is to put a backdoor in it. And so that is part of, you know, just the natural greed that comes with building a fast growing business, which tech companies Often, sometimes they linger and come along very slowly, but usually they take off or they don't. And when one of the things that you want to do is try to get market share, and certainly global use is something that helps advance companies and spurs on the use of their technology and the value of their business. So it's a very tempting proposition. So I think the other thing that they need to do is they need to work with legal and policy personnel like ourselves, when they're designing these technologies and building them, because they need to think about the legal and ethical issues 
when they're designing them and building them and, and understand how they can be used and what could be the downsides and plan for those things or else say we're not going to allow this to happen. But for the most part, these actions I've just talked about are rarely undertaken in young IT companies and startups to the best of my knowledge. Well, you know, Jody, uh, in fairness to those companies, and, and they should be attentive, but if they were given proper guidance by governmental pronouncements on this subject, they would at least have something that they could point to. You know, as you and I know, what often happens is people come to you and come to me anyway and say, well, the other companies are doing this. You know, why shouldn't we? And I think that it does come down to, and maybe we're seeing it emerge, governmental, not only actions, but the development of guidance for companies in this area as to what is expected and what isn't. And uh, let's hope that uh, this podcast and other discussions will lead in that direction. I want to thank you, Jody. You, You are really spent a lot of time thinking about this, and it's an awfully important subject. Thanks for letting me interview you and uh, for sharing your insights with our podcast listeners. It's always a pleasure, Jerry, to talk to you. And now I got to talk to you more than I usually do. So thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show and want more content on the issues we cover, you can visit adcg.org. The Association for Data and Cyber Governance is the leading association connecting all aspects of data management, cybersecurity, and governance. Our listeners can use code POD at checkout for 50% off membership. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.